Good afternoon, Hamden, and welcome to Overtime Radio. Thank you for joining us on this Friday, November 6th. Coming at you live from Quinnipiac University, I'm Tom Krasnowski, joined by my co-host Jordan Wolf, and this is Overtime. Now, we're doing things a little differently this week. You might notice it sounds a little different. WQAQ studios are temporarily closed due to a rise in COVID cases at Quinnipiac. We're all okay. Most everyone at the radio station that I know of is okay. So we're still recording the show in podcast form, though. The show must go on, Jordan. You know what they say. Yeah, I mean, I like our view better. I mean, I like what we get to see outside right now. We got a little bit of the parking lot. We got some nice sun, a clear sky. But, you know, obviously it's not the same, but we're going to try our best to make it as similar as possible with some analysis and great sports talk. So. In the immediate future, we'll be doing the recording this way and potentially over winter break through some Zoom stuff, too. So this is not the last you're going to hear of Overtime Radio. A little COVID scare on campus won't keep us off the airwaves. But. No, we don't give up. We grind. So we're now officially halfway done with the 2020 NFL season. No fans in the stands, COVID outbreaks, they're causing schedule changes, there's been big-time injuries, there's been an undefeated team, there's been a lot going on. It's a season to remember for sure. So Jordan, what's been the moment that stood out to you most so far? So I'm going to go back to the beginning of the season, the first game we had the Chiefs and the Texans, and they both stood together in unity. I know this is a bit of more of a political moment than you probably expected me to say, but I just think the power of that moment and the way that Deshaun Watson, Patrick Mahomes were all standing together. I know people are making fun of it because the fans booed it, but I just thought it was a really powerful moment and kind of a signaling of the times of what people want the country to advance to. We don't know how far it's going to go, but I just thought that was such a powerful moment because we don't usually see that too often in NFL games. I'm going to go on the field. I think the standout moment for me has just been too. We've seen a lot of cool breakout performers this year. Uh, first of all, Joe Burrow, first and foremost. And some unheralded guys, too. Guys like Chase Claypool that come out of nowhere. Guys like Ronald Jones who come out of nowhere. Um, the Giants win. Their one win comes off Mr. Irrelevant scoring a touchdown, Tay Crowder. <laughs> there has been uh, a lot of great performances from the likes of Aaron Rodgers and, and, and the rest of the you know Patrick Mahomes. But there's also been... A lot of unheralded sort of moments from uh, some some contributors that maybe people didn't see coming. So I like that. We can see the parody and the NFL motto, any given Sunday. And uh, so far, that's been living up to that uh, this year. But let's go into the rundown of the show here. The Pittsburgh Steelers. Now, we've talked about them before, and I know I've been more confident in them than you have been a little bit in the past, but still, I don't think any of us certainly saw them going 7-0. and uh, That is their best start in franchise history, if you can believe it or not. And they have had, they've won a lot of close games. They've beaten a couple good teams. Just how good are the Steelers right now? Because they certainly deserve our respect. So here's the thing with the Steelers. I'm looking at their games right now. They've won games 26 to 21, 28 to 21, 38 to 29, 27 24, 28 24. This is a team that doesn't exactly put away games. But they're a good team, and here's why: they can go into any environment, home or away, and they can win. And that's so important for the playoffs, especially with home field advantage, or maybe you have to go on the road depending how things work out. But for the Steelers, just both sides of the ball, they have so much talent and so much depth that this team can compete with anybody in the league. Honestly, they can compete with the Chiefs if they want to, especially defensively. I don't know, obviously, about offensively, but defensively, for sure, they can compete with the Chiefs. And this team, like I said, they play a lot of close games, and it's good that they're playing these close games now because then it'll only get them better for the playoff time. They had that 5-0 and start that was a little... Week in some areas. You talked about the close games, but how about the last two weeks? I don't care if they're going to be close games against the Titans and against the Ravens, and they came out and won them. There's a lot of football teams out there that they play close games, but they routinely lose them, or they lose them more often than they win them. And that's a separation right now between the Steelers and the rest of the bunch. The Steelers are a good football team. They're a great football team because they win these games. They found a way to beat the Ravens and neutralize Lamar Jackson again, which we'll get into later. And uh, the Titans as well. Remember, they were undefeated too at that time. The Steelers have found ways to win these games. The other teams just have not been able to. It's been a terrific defensive effort. Uh, Pittsburgh defense is top five in points. Uh, t- sixth, rather, and the offense is fifth. So they're top five, just about top six, I should say, in both those categories. They're very balanced. Uh, Roethlisberger's been playing well. This team, when you look at the schedule, I'll get your take on this too. Cowboys this week. Then the Bengals, Jaguars, Ravens is another tough matchup. Football team in Washington, Buffalo, Cincy, Indy, and Cleveland. There are maybe two or three tough games in there and a lot of cookies. I see this Steelers team going 14-2 and or 15-1 and 
because they're good and they also have a fortuitous schedule. I say they're going to go 13-3. I can see them losing a defensive battle to Indianapolis, whose defense is just as good. I know Phillip Rivers holds that team back, but that's what I see happening. And as for the Ravens, I see them beating them a second time because in that first game, like I talked about in my basketball segment, J.K. Dobbins got over 100 yards rushing. Willie Seen got over 100 yards receiving. If Lamar Jackson plays that same way, I think the Ravens got that one to win. They were up 17-7 in that game at one point, but they just kind of let themselves, uh, got in their own way. And what then, same way for Lamar Jackson? He was terrible. No, no, I'm saying the same way from for Dobbins and Snead is what I'm saying. Uh-huh. I'm not saying Jackson. I, I agree with you. I told you that Jackson did not play well. He made very poor decisions in that game, and it really cost them that win. And then Buffalo. Their defense, again, just as good as the Steelers, and their yeah. offense has to be a little bit better. Yeah. But I can see that game being close, and I can see the Steelers using that one as well. So 13-3. And that's not anything yeah. to write home about and be ashamed of, but that's just what I think. I don't I don't hold Buffalo in the high regard that you do. Uh, and I think you're seeing it the last, the last few weeks. It really was just three great weeks from Josh Allen. Now he's he's still fine, but he's not no. as good as Roethlisberger in a gunslinging duel, I don't think. And uh, not with that, their defense is good too. But it's not the Steelers. I'd say is probably the best in the league, or at least uh, no worse than third. Yeah, and, Second, and first to third. The Bills are close. I don't know if they're better yet. So I got the we've got the Steelers going pretty good. I mean, hey, at worst you said thirteen and three, and that was the worst of the two of us, and that's still pretty good. But. Let's talk about Lamar and the Ravens, because this is going to seriously hold them back. Lamar Jackson now is 0-6 in the biggest games of his career. He's lost two playoff games, he's lost three games against the Chiefs, and he's lost the one game he played against the Steelers when they had Roethlisberger at quarterback. He beat them last year when they had Duck Hodges, which, not the same team, of course. Lamar does not win big games, and he's actually really bad in these games. In a league where completion percentage as a stat is higher than ever. Lamar Jackson only completed 46% of his passes last week. He had two picks. He had three fumbles. Two of them were lost. So he had four turnovers, and it could have easily been five. That's coming off a week against Philly, where, again, only 186 passing yards and one touchdown. A week against Cincinnati, where he barely completed 50%, and also had another interception. Jackson has taken a step back this year. His completion rate has dropped by six. His touchdown rate is still pretty high, but it's not as high as last year. He's thrown more interceptions. He's not quite the same. He hasn't been as dynamic as a runner either. His yards per carry is a little lower, and five less touchdowns so far. Again, only half the season, but he just hasn't been quite as dynamic. And that holds back the Ravens, because they have a lot of other pieces. They have a really good defense, as we've been over, but they don't really have great receivers. They have a cadre of running backs they don't have that one guy uh, they need Jackson to elevate and he is now 0-6 in these big games so until he can win just one big game against a, a playoff team I can't have faith in this Ravens team going as far as you and others have said they were what do you make of these struggles it, it's definitely an issue for sure and I think that goes with wear and tear and I think that also goes with just exposure of the league the wear and tear he plays a very physical style of football and when he takes all those hits sometimes it affects you when you go later in the game in the pocket and then, like I said, exposure in the league. These defenses, at some point, we're going to have to game plan for Lamar Jackson and see how they could stop him. And I think some defenses have figured it out that they're going to try to blitz him and force him to throw that ball because they just don't know if he can throw it as consistently. And it seems like it has worked. So now it's on Lamar Jackson to, to adjust and really come up with his own game plan to do what he did last year because it's so hard to replicate, replicate a season like he did last year. Last year, he was just on fire. He was in a rhythm. You couldn't get him out of that rhythm until that Titans game last season. But it's a problem because in playoffs, you're not facing teams that are 6-9-1 and nine and one per se. You're facing teams that are over 500 or 13-3 and three or 12-4 and four or 11 And he's five. lost all those games. And he's losing all these games. And, you're, it's not, and every year, it's not going to get any easier. So you have to figure out a way to win. You have to play your best football. I don't know what that is for him. Obviously, it is what he does against the Bengals. It seems like he really tortures the Bengals every time he faces them. That's not hard to do. But, like, he has to figure out, what what do I do against the Titans? What do I do against the Steelers? What do I do against the Colts or whatever? So, it's a problem if the Ravens want to get to where they want to get to and overcome the Chiefs, let's per se. So. No, Kirk Cousins doesn't beat over 500 teams. Lamar Jackson is nowhere near Kirk Cousins' levels, but... Just in fairness sake, we have to recognize that Jackson doesn't beat good teams very often either. And you know I love my quarterback rankings. We all have Mahomes, Wilson, and Rodgers in some order as the top three. 
we all kind of agreed Jackson was the, probably the next best of the rest. Tom Brady's having a better season than Lamar Jackson this yeah, year. Yeah, you know, I can't, I can't really explain that. I just think maybe the warmer weather. He's wearing t-shirts before games. He's really feeling himself in Tampa Bay. Um, like, I, I, he's really rediscovering that deep ball. It, it's really an anomaly how good Tom Brady has been this year at his forty-three year old season. So yeah, Jackson's just twenty-three. Again, we can reiterate that it's it's not anything worth panicking over at this point in his career. He's still a very talented quarterback, but. It's a worry, and it's a point that maybe the Ravens need to do something different. They might need to change up their offensive scheme a little bit because they might have figured out the one that worked last year. But keep it in the AFC, uh, to the AFC South now. We kind of, most of us thought, the, we, we both picked the Titans to win this division. We said they would take a step back. They're 6-2, and two, and the Colts now are tied with the Titans for the division lead. So... Let's do a good old-fashioned, just plain and simple, who's better? Because the Colts and Titans both are known for their defenses, but the Colts' defense has been better. The Titans and Colts aren't as known for their offenses, but the Titans have been better on O. So who do you think is truly better and could win that division and would win that head-to-head game between the Titans and Colts? I'm going to go with the Titans. I and, and I am so impressed with the Colts. Their defense has been outstanding. Frank Reich has really built a culture there that's really inspired them to play and come out to play and not lie down for any other teams. They've been really good under him, and he's really taken that job and really elevated that franchise. But as for the Titans, Derrick Henry, every time he's out there, he's a difference maker. Every team knows what's coming. Every team stacks the box for Derrick Henry. Every team tries to tackle him, but you can't. He is just a different physical human being every time he's out on that field. He's the difference maker for the Titans, and the Colts just don't have that. And Ryan Tannehill was able to kind of feed off of that, do some play action, find receivers like A.J. Brown and Corey Davis, and then the Titans defense, we're going to talk about trades, or I don't know if we are going to talk about trades later, but they just got Desmond King, who's going to team up with Kevin Byard in that secondary. So I give the Titans the edge. There's no disrespect to the Colts. They played a fine season. They've really grinded out games, and Frank Holt Reich has done a really good job of that culture. Yeah, the Colts are more of a kind of win-by-committee by team, even on defense. They do have Darius Leonard as a big star, and DeForest Buckner is a good player. No one else really stands out as a big name on that team for me. Uh, in terms of combined tackling, they got a lot of guys right around that 40 mark. Their leading tackler is Anthony Walker and Bobby... Uh, Okiki or Okariki. Yeah, and, and in terms okay. of in terms of sacks, the leading sack leader on the team has four. It's Danico Autry, and that's <laughs> a team that a team a team total of 18. They kind of just get it done by committee on defense other than Leonard, but they win in the trenches. And that's valuable. I'd have to say that I trust the Titans more. I agree they're the better team. Tannehill is an above-average NFL quarterback. And quite frankly, Phillip Rivers is not right now. He's, he's, he's probably average at best at this point of his career. He can win some games, but needs help. And uh, because of that, I, w- I think both teams make the playoffs. But I agree with you that the Titans are ahead of them right now. But it's surprising so far, I think, to see both teams sitting at 5-2 and two and tied for the division lead. Yeah, this has been a, a dogfight. And it's going to be really fun to see later in the season who comes out on top of that dogfight. But both of these teams have really been impressive all year, all season long. They play each other on Thursday night next week. Oh, man. Joe, Bu- Your boys Joe Buck and Troy got that yeah. one. Yeah. Yeah, there we go. That'll be a fun game uh, sure to watch. That? Thursday... Yeah, Thursday night hasn't been uh, it's not a hit or miss, but uh, last night was a miss. This one, this one's going to be good. So let's stay tuned to that. Um, keep it in the AFC again for a little bit longer. The Patriots. Now they lost again. They've lost three in a row, and they probably they were very close to tying this game. And quite frankly, Cam Newton let them down. The Patriots were in field goal range for a game tying field goal against the Bills. They could have even gotten a touchdown. There was still time on the clock. They were down 24-21, and they were driving near the red zone, and Newton fumbled the ball, and it lost the game for the Patriots. They now fall to 2-5. and five. The season, is it over, first and foremost, for the Patriots? I think so. I think you can't recover from a loss like that. It was devastating to have Cam Newton, your best player on that team, have the ball in his hands, fumble it at the end of the game, and then the Boyles recover it, and just all the... Opposite sides of emotions, the Bills, it's all up. The Patriots, it's all devastation. I don't know how you recover from that loss. I, I don't. 
And what I think is holding the Patriots back is uh, two things. Bravado and star power. Every time you think of the New England Patriots, they just have this bravado with Bill Belichick and how much they've won and how much success they've acclaimed over these past years. But they don't have the star power that they used to have anymore. Julian Edelman is getting older. When you look at their offenses, Jacoby Myers and James, do they really scare you? Cam Newton should scare you, but he's been so inconsistent that you don't know what you're going to get each and every week. So what's holding the Patriots back, in my opinion, is complete fear factor and star power. When you look at this team, it's not the same. You look at this team, you're like, we can beat them. It's no longer they have the mental advantage over us. They always have that psychological advantage every single year. You can never count them out. And this year, I just don't see that same thing. You know what? I think you do know what you can get from Cam Newton week after week. I don't think he has been inconsistent. He's been consistently bad. I got his game logs here. He's had one good game this week, this year. Yep. It was the one against Seattle, where he had, and unfortunately it was a losing effort for him. That game, he threw for 400 yards just about. He did have a pick, but also a touchdown. He ran for two touchdowns as well. He was awesome in that game. But every other game, he has not thrown for more than 175 yards. He has only had two passing touchdowns all year. He has a rather embarrassing seven interceptions, a four and a half interception rate uh, on all his passes, which is very bad. And he's also fumbled the ball three times, lost it once, and we just talked about which one it was. Newton, quite simply, is just, he's not good enough anymore. He is, he's not, he's a shell of his former self. His completion percentage is fine, but that's about all he's getting. His yards, uh, it's not there. In fact, I saw a stat that the I like average air yards to talk about quarterbacks because it tells you who's a downfield bomber and who's a dink and dunker. And Daniel Jones is one of the worst three in the league. I think Sam Darnold is one of the worst three in the league. And the other third one in there was Cam Newton. He's not. He's only averaging uh, a breeze, I should say. It wasn't Darnold. It was Breeze, rather. Excuse me. Breeze, Jones, and Newton. Newton's not throwing the ball deep anymore, which is one of the things he did best. And he is, he's lost the touch. So the thing with Cam Newton that I see is you can even say, like, hey, he doesn't even have the same weapons that maybe the Patriots used to have. He's missing those throws. That's on him. Yeah. Like, every time I see, like, Jacoby Myers or Julian Elman, like, open, like, he's throwing it, and he's throwing it, like, three yards in front of them where they can't make the play. He never had great weapons in Carolina anyway. He made them better right. when he was there. Exactly. That, that's what winners do. And that's yes. what Newton was a winner. Yeah. It was 15-1 and one that one year when they made it to the Super Bowl. Then he didn't dive on a fumble, and it cost them the game, and it kind of cost Cam Newton the rest of his career. He hasn't been the same since then. No, he hasn't. I think the Patriots were hoping to catch lightning in the bottle, and good, luckily for Bill Belichick, he gave him the veterans minimum because it's not he's, it's not looking like he's being re-signed next season with the way he's playing. Well, right, and this leads into the next point because it was certainly worth the chance for the Patriots for such low money. Absolutely. But it's clear that Newton is not the answer. It's also become clear that Jarrett Stidham is not the answer. He looks abysmal every time he plays. And then Brian Hoyer is just like the old dad at the barbecue that he really should not be on the sidelines. Nobody anymore. thinks Hoyer's the answer either, that's for sure. So the Patriots have no answers at quarterback, and that's the biggest thing that's holding them back. Uh, it sounds obvious, but it's true. They don't really have a plan there, and they're not going to be bad enough to, to get Fields, or certainly not Lawrence, and I don't see them trading up either in terms of the, in terms of the assets they have. So the Patriots are going to have to kind of turn garbage into gold again at quarterback. They've done it once before. They've almost done it twice before if you want to count Garoppolo to an extent. But they're going to need to do it again because I, I can see them going to get some, waiting and going to get someone like Mac Jones from Alabama. I can see that happening. I just think that they have to go at least go look at somebody because what they have on this field right now it's not working. They're two and six. Are they? They're, are they two and five or two, two and six? Five. Two and five. Okay. But that bye week getting us both <laughs> with our with our records here. Okay. The Patriots, I think it's over. I thought they would get hyped up for that. And they did. They actually did play yeah. a better game than they had in the last few weeks. And Newton just fumbled it away. And you that's 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 it for them, I think. And they'll, they'll beat the Jets this week, probably most in all likelihood, because no the Jets aren't gonna beat anybody. Then after that, Ravens, Texans, Cardinals, Chargers, Rams, Dolphins, Bills, Jets. Maybe they go a game over 500 in that. That's not enough to get you over the hump, though. I think the, the Patriots' the, season's over. Luckily for them, they get to face the Jets two more times. So, they they but do, but they'll need some help. I, I honestly could see the Jets maybe winning one of those games. Honestly, I really can. It's it's going to be closer than you think. I Maybe they won't win, but it's going to be closer than you think. Wait till the pick six for uh, see if there's any surprises in there. But one more AFC segment before we go over to the NFC. There's probably one playoff spot left up for grabs in the AFC right now. Because... The division leaders are pretty much set. The wild cards are set for the two of them. 
the Colts Titans loser and the Ravens Steelers loser. Uh, and the divisional leaders are pretty much set. There's one spot left. That's that extra playoff spot that's new this year. It could go to the Raiders. It could go to the Cleveland Browns. It could go to the Miami Dolphins. I think it's pretty clear to me the Raiders are going to take that spot. Uh, I like what they do on, on offense this year. Carr is no longer a dink and dunker. Their defense is not good. I'll admit that. But Gruden has a squad of grinders. And they, they if you can beat the Chiefs, even if it was just one week, that shows to me that they can, they can play with anybody. And I like seeing that from the Raiders. The Browns can't play with anybody. They get blown out by the Steelers. Uh, and they only barely beat the Bengals. They're like a sort of fraudulent 5-3, and three, I think. But they're very, very bad defense the Browns have. And the Dolphins, I know it's a couple weeks ago they'd make the playoffs next year. And uh, I think I still stand by that. But I think this year is still too early. So pretty clear to me that my preseason prediction, that got a couple chuckles, but it looks to be pretty right now, I think. Right now, at least. Is the Raiders taking that seventh spot? But who you got, Jordo, out of the Raiders, Browns, or Dolphins for that last wild card? This is tough because each three of these teams have so many weaknesses. Like you just outlined, the Raiders have a really weak defense. The Browns have inconsistency and really weak defense, and we don't know if they can really play with any big teams. The Dolphins, to me, they're just so too young right now, kind of like the Padres, but they have a really good future ahead of them. So I'm going to agree with you here. I I have to pick the Raiders. I really like what they're doing on offense. Derek Carr is really providing that spark for them. Josh Jacobs is doing really great from the running game. You got Henry Ruggs as your deep threat. They're rediscovering Nelson Aguilar, which the Eagles fans are probably pissed off about with what they have right now. Um, The Raiders defense is a question mark, but they do grind every single game, like you said. Max Crosby, he can get to the quarterback when he wants to. Um, but so I'm going to pick the Raiders here. This is a battle of who can get to the spot first. Like who's going to, who's going to grind the spot out. It's not going to be pretty, but I think the Raiders got it. That team would face the two seed in the AFC, whoever gets that spot. Looking like the Chiefs. And that would be tough, but the Raiders have beaten them once before. Yeah, I do forget that the Raiders went into, um, Arrowhead and beat the Chiefs at home. Very impressive stuff. Say it with me now. I'm not saying it. I'm not. I'm not saying. The Raiders. Chris Berman. I love that. I'm, I'm leaving that for the uh, brown educated Chris Berman. So. I love that more than very few things, to be quite honest. Yeah. Uh, I, I love. I love uh, Chris Berman on uh, prime time. I mean, that's one of my favorites. Same but. here. I'm gonna leave that for him though. Uh, well, I played. I played the clip. Uh, so let's move to the NFC, and I think we gotta start with our Giants because I've come to a realization, oh. and that realization is quite simple: that Daniel Jones is not the guy for the Giants. It is a hard and fast. Uh, no, he is not the answer. It's been made very clear to me because people talk about his arm talent often. And, you know, Jones' arm talent is pretty good at times. He does throw a good ball every once in a while. And, it's, and it makes you wonder, where is the rest of it? And there's a lot of quarterbacks that have good arm talent, but they have the mental processing talent of a high school quarterback. Those guys are called backups, good backups, the Chase Daniels of the world. The Jacoby Brissett's of the world. Sure, Chase Daniel's a good backup. The Nick Foles of the world. That's what he is. That's what Daniel Jones is projecting to be. He's projecting to be a starter on a weak team, which I guess he is right now, or a really good backup on an injured quarterback team. That's what Daniel Jones is because he is not improving in any way this year. His completion percentage has gotten worse. His yardage has gone down. His touchdown percentage has been halved. His interception rate has imp- increased, and not in a good way. Uh, his quarterback rating has gone down. Yes, he's been sacked a little bit more, but the sack percentage isn't quite as high as, as, as it's about the same as last year. So the point being, he did more last year. This year, he hasn't. I know he doesn't have Saquon Barkley, but he didn't have him for parts of last year. He won that game without Barkley in Tampa Bay and the next week against the football team. And this year... Jones is not elevating. He misses too many throws. For a guy named Danny Dimes, he misses a lot of deep balls. Hmm. And, you know, that last loss, some of the other losses this year haven't been strictly on him, but that last loss against Tampa Bay, I think that's strictly on Jones because the defense played great. They actually got some value out of the running backs. And he overthrew countless deep balls that could have changed the game, and he threw the game away on silly interceptions. The same mistakes over and over again with him. When he gets pressured, he doesn't throw the ball out of bounds, and when he's and when he's trying to make decisions, he gets tunnel vision and just locks on the first one or two options and can't adapt. He's a great runner. He has some talent, but the mental processing that NFL quarterbacks need, it's not there. 
He's not the guy. The Giants, if they're going to become a consistent playoff team, would need to get an upgrade. What do you think, fellow Giants fan? You know, let me explain my side here first. And I'm not defending Daniel Jones in any way. He has not looked as good as he did in his first season. But what one thing is first. He's learning a completely new system. And by now, he should probably have a better hand over the system than he does right now. But he's had two systems in two years. And the Bucks game perfectly illustrated for me what I see with Daniel Jones. There's flashes where this guy has pinpoint accuracy, great mobility, and honestly, really good arm strength. But it's not shown enough. And he oftentimes still makes these rookie mistakes where he fumbles the ball in big situations. He doesn't throw the ball out of bounds. He throws very bad interceptions and it doesn't and it pisses off Giants fans like me and Tom. So this is what I say. Let him ride out to the end of the season. Let him get the beginning of next season. If the same things still occur, then I think you gotta move on. You can't give him any more chances than you've gave him. But I don't think he should be benched right now. I don't think he should be benched at the end of the season. I don't think the Giants are really going anywhere unless they miraculously the Eagles keep losing, and the Washington football team keeps losing, and they somehow win all these games. But I think Daniel Jones is going to stay for the end of this season and beginning of next season, and if it's still not working out, then move on. Justin Fields is available for the Giants with the third overall pick in the draft. There's no way you don't take him. No, you got to take him if he's there. Absolutely. I agree with that. And that's a that's bad situation because then you have, when you pick a quarterback and it doesn't work out, that is a, a first-round pick that you didn't get value on, and the Giants have a long history of that. They're misfiring on too many of these first-round picks, and that's not how you win football games. So it would be a big mistake for the Giants uh, if they have to—it would indicate a big mistake if they have to pick Fields. I think it would be the right move, but it would indicate sins of the past, and I think you're seeing it here with Jones. It was a gutsy pick, but if Fields is there at three, you might have to take him. There's an O-lineman I like from Oregon. There's a pass rusher I like from Penn State, but— the quarterback is what wins and loses your games more than anything in this league, and the Giants need an upgrade. Um, who would have thought we'd talk so much about the Giants, but yeah. there actually is another story that's worth talking about here. And it illustrates Dave Gettleman's failure as a general manager. And the, the story is Golden Tate. Golden Tate was signed to be the Giants' culture guy. He was signed to fix the locker room culture. He had a pretty good reputation at most stops where he was at. Yeah, he liked to showboat touchdowns, but that was about the only... That was the only big thing. The only major thing that was holding back Golden Tate's reputation. But since coming to the Giants, he's been an embarrassment for the guy who's going to fix the clubhouse. So first things first, before he plays a game, he's suspended for a performance-enhancing drug. Could have been a fertility drug, but it's still a little suspect. Who knows? I think that one might have been fertility, though. Then it's still illegal. It was a a banned substance. He knew what he was taking. Sucks. That's strike one. Then he's kind of underwhelming last year on the field. He's just he's okay, but he's underwhelming. Still backpedals into the end zone when he scores a rare touchdown, though. This year, pushes off on a fourth and goal versus Chicago. Loses the Giants the game on OPI. Fights Jalen Ramsey, which is the one thing that's justified out of all this, because Ramsey did a complete wrong. Then he whines he doesn't get the ball enough. He finally touches the ball for the Giants when he gets open, and he complains to the camera every single time, throw me the ball, throw me the ball. Then his wife calls out the team on social media. The team still doesn't trade him. The Giant and then that team is considering benching him for this week. The Giants have no guaranteed money left to Tate after this year. He has to be gone because he has not fixed the locker room like uh, they thought he uh, they thought they, they uh, thought he would. They have two number one. Rec- uh, they have their top two receivers, I should say, with Slayton and Shepard. They have their top two guys. There's no room for Tate and his salary and his shenanigans here anymore. And uh, it's really embarrassing for a guy who had such a good reputation. But the more you look into it. Not so much. It's disappointing. Uh, Golden Tate, man, he... I I even saw it with the Eagles. I think the writing was on the wall. He is just not the same player he was with Detroit Lions and the Seattle Seahawks. He was a game-breaker with those two teams. And here, he is a number three, kind of old, a little bit overrated, over-the-hill option. I'm sorry. That's what I see. And a bad guy. Bad, bad locker room guy. He's... he's he's, Judge Judge said he's, he's putting himself above the team. We can't have that. Okay, I, I can't. I don't know what's going on in the locker room, but if that's what Joe Judge says, I'm gonna. Well, go, you do know. Go with his word. You do know. He says I need, he whines every time he touches the ball. I need the ball. That's not what team players well, do. So here's what I think. I do think something. Get open. He's got to be phased out of the offense, and I, I think that Darius Slayton's got to get more touches because I love what I've seen with Darius Slayton. He he has been making like on that fourth down play when the Giants could have lost the game right there. 
He was the one who made that play by himself. He got to the first down marker. He caught the ball. He ran around two defenders. He's been a difference maker, and I love yeah. Darius Slayton. I want him to get more touches. So when, if that has to be the sacrifice of Golden Tate, I'm completely fine with that because he's been very up and down, and he did catch that touchdown at the end of the game, but that's the only positive thing he's done so far. Well, Slayton so. has had the most targets from Jones this year out of anybody. You know, the one thing that's redeeming to Tate in a way, he has caught 76% of balls his way which indicates that he's reliable when he does get the ball. The only thing that's holding Slayton back from being a true number one, two years running, identical, 57.1% catch percentage. So if you throw to Slayton, there's barely a half percent chance he catches that ball. That needs to improve to become a true number one, but then you see what he does when he gets the ball, and the talent is totally there. So I agree with you that that's the future of the Giants. It's not not Golden Tate, who was uh, famously could have been punched into a trash can before the Super Bowl uh, with Seattle. People forget about that story, too. Oh, when, when, when Percy Harvin gave him a black eye and just punched him into a trash can before the Super Bowl. Yeah, you know, Percy Harvin, uh, we all saw what happened after that. So. Yeah, Tate says that incident never happened, but given some of the recent indications of Tate being disgruntled with the Giants, I'm starting to believe it a little bit. It's a shame, too, because he used to be my go-to every year in fantasy as a flex with the I Lions. I don't know why that... Uh, well, with the Lions, that makes sense. He was awesome in that role, but... Not anymore. And it's just another miss for Gettleman. Uh, Chicago Bears. Mitch Trubisky. He... Now, we were going to talk about if it was time to go back to Trubisky in Chicago. And I was going to go full bore saying it was time. But then Trubisky gets a shoulder injury. So let's change the topic here a little bit. I guess this is the end for Trubisky in Chicago, no? With the shoulder injury? Yes. And Foles isn't the answer. He has not played well enough in these games. So the Bears also have a big decision at quarterback because they have no, they have nothing there, and that's what's holding them back. They might as well be the Patriots of the of the NFC, just not the reputation. They're very similar. They are very similar. They have very lackluster offense, but a defense that really outshines it. And I think with the Bears, you cannot go back to Mitch Trubisky. He's shown only inconsistency and no consistency. I, I still can't believe he was a number two pick. His shoulder's causing issues. I know Nick Foles hasn't been that great, but he still plays decently enough in the fourth quarter to keep the Bears in all these close games. So I, I keep telling you the Bears are the biggest frauds in, the, in there, and I still believe that. But the Bear, you're right. The Bears do have to figure out something at QB because Nick Foles, he's getting older, and he's really not the answer. He shouldn't be the answer there. Last thing before we move on to a little bit of baseball talk. Buccaneers activating Antonio Brown this Sunday. We'll see what his role is. And a couple of trades. You mentioned Chargers trading Desmond Cain to the Titans. Love that move. Steelers get Avery Williamson. I like that move. Quan Alexander to the Saints. Maybe that helps shore up their defense a little bit. They, they need offensive help more than defensive help. Defense hasn't been good either. Uh, their and, offense has been just as bad. I know Michael yeah, Thomas has been in. And that's on the quarterback. Breeze underperforming this year. I was surprised. We'll, we'll give, a, give our trade deadline surprise. I was surprised the Packers didn't go after another weapon. Um, they don't necessarily need one because Rodgers can win without elite weapons. He's done it before and he's doing it this year. But it really could have just made it a little easier and really helped the Packers fulfill my destiny that I've predicted for them and help make that Super Bowl. There were rumors they were interested in Will Fuller. He does make $10.8 million. They didn't want to pay for it. But a move like that, sometimes you got to take on a little bit of salary if you want to get the chance for that ring, and the Packers still have a good chance for a ring, but one big move could have really helped them get that improved to a great chance of getting the ring. I think it was a missed chance. It, I completely agree with you. It was crazy because even last night without that move, they still win like 38-10 to 10 or 34-10 to 10 or whatever it was against the very injured 49er squad. But a team that I think that missed a chance, and I know they're not going to make the playoffs— the Cincinnati Bengals trading A.J. Green and getting some value for them. I think he's yeah. got to go. I don't know why he's still there. He's been demoted to a number three option behind T. Higgins and behind Tyler Boyd. I think the Colts could have got some tremendous help from A.J. Green being across the side of T.Y. Hilton. And I think the Ravens could have got tremendous help being across the side of Willie Seaton and Hollywood Brown. So the fact that the Bengals just keep keeping him and not shopping him makes no sense to me. He's not really helping you anymore. So what is he still there for? I don't understand, but I think the Bengals missed a huge chance to get some value there. You know what it is? They're not getting value, the Bengals. He's still going to let him go. I don't know. He's not being used. He makes $18 million. And he's certainly not worth that. So the, so knowing that, what's a team going to give up for him? A sixth rounder? I know, but you know, the, it's like the Bengals are just keep, like keeping keeping spilled milk at this point. Like, yeah, but how how could you take on eighteen million dollars from AJ Green? I know it's tough, but the Bengals probably put themselves in a situation. I still think the Col- the Ravens and the Colts could have kept um, could have done something there. So 
Well, it might have been a missed chance. Let's move over to MLB. We got some awards and some predictions to go through. AL MVP, DJ LeMayhew, Jose Abreu, Jose Ramirez. If you read Pinstripe Alley, which, plug, I wrote an article on why DJ LeMayhew deserves MVP, and I stand by it. Uh, he did miss some time, not too much time. He missed the same fraction of time as Mike Trout did last season. Uh, just put that out there, the exact same percentage of games, and Trout won MVP. So I pick LeMayhew because he had the edge in average, he had the edge in OPS, he had the uh, edge in on-base percentage, he's doing it while playing three different positions at a capable level, he's not just a big lug at first base like Abreu, and he was a little bit of a better hitter than Ramirez was. So for me, it's LeMayhew winning the MVP, I think it's well-deserved, I think it's going to help him continue to earn that contract this offseason, just a matter of who he gets it from, but I vote DJ for MVP. I completely agree with you, Tom. I believe DJ LeMayhew, if he wasn't there at all this season, the Yankees wouldn't even got to where they were. He's right there to overtaking Aaron Judge as the best pure player on this field. He can do pretty much everything you ask him to. Play exceptional defense, hit for contact, hit to all sides of the field, hit for power. Good clubhouse guide. I know he doesn't talk that much, but he's just really a grinder. Goes out there, competes, plays hard, and I think he deserves his MVP for having a three thirty eight batting average in a 60-game season. I think it was higher than that. Three three fifty. It was over 360. Absolutely absurd. It was over 360 as average, 364. Like, to be able to maintain that in just 60 games is ridiculous. So the point, the only detractor to that would be it's much easier to do that in 60 games than it is over 162 games. He still did similarly to that last season, though. Not that similar, but 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 yes, the point being, we we could agree that. Take it from Yankees fans, apparently. <laughs> if you want to call us on our bias, sure. But DJ deserves MVP. Um, NL MVP. Betts, Freeman, or Machado? It comes down to Betts or Freeman. Freeman had the better numbers. Betts had a bigger impact on a better team. This one's close, but so I'm looking at the numbers. You know, when you look at the numbers, it's pretty clear to me. I think it's got to be Freeman. Oh, this is it has to be. This is so tough because like all three of these guys played major roles in getting their teams to where they were this season. Machado was helped by Tatis. Freeman yes. and Freeman didn't have as much help. Acuna missed some time. Right. And Betts had help with Bellinger, yeah. and he helped help with Seager, and he had help with Turner. So if we're going off of that, I'm going to also agree with you and go Freddie Freeman. I just believe he just goes out there and just is, is so consistent of a player. You know what you're going to get with Freddie Freeman every single year. Nice defense, even better hitting. Do you know what you get exactly? Do you know his numbers are better than LeMahieu in more games, by the way? We just said how great LeMahieu was. Freeman, 341 average, which is the one category that LeMayu hasn't beat in. Wow. Just, Freeman had uh, more home runs. He had a 462 on base. That is absurd. A 640 slugging, 53 RBI in 60 games. He played every game, and he led the league in doubles with 23. Freeman had a complete season. He was insane this year. He is going to be uh, the NL MVP if we have votes. Uh, AL Cy Young. I think this one can go pretty easy. It's easy. Shane Bieber, Kenta Maeda, or Hyunjin Ryu. Last two had good seasons. Bieber had a great season. He did pitch in the weakest division in baseball, which helps him a little bit. But he was still so, so great, even with that little helper. Like, you don't see guys that put up ERAs 163 and whips of 0.87 and 122 strikeouts in 77 innings. Plus, Bieber went deep in all his starts. He really had a dominant year, completely dominant. There's a stat called ERA Plus, where 100 is league average. He had an ERA Plus of 281, meaning he was 181% better than the average MLB pitcher. So, Bieber absolutely deserves. He won the uh, pitching triple crown, and uh, he's going to get another piece of hardware. There's not much more I can say than that. I mean, as good as Kenta Maeda and Hunjin Ryu were to getting the Twins and the Blue Jays respectively to the playoffs, Shane Bieber was out of this world good. Like, you, like if you don't reward him for all the hard work he did at top of the, that rotation for a team that I didn't even think was going to go that far in the postseason or get to the postseason, then I think you're crazy. Shane Bieber's got to win this AL Cy Young. He's Pretty much out statistically uh, has better statistics than Kenta Maeda and Hunjin Ryu comparatively, and he was an anchor at the top of that rotation besides the postseason this year. Yes, the Yankees did rough him up in that one start, but uh, you know he's still a young pitcher with a lot of hype, a lot of hope for the future. NL Cy Young, this one's close. Trevor Bauer, Yu Darvish, Jacob Degrom are the candidates. This is oof, this is really close. 
I seriously think I'd go Jacob DeGrom really? to win the Cy Young. His third in a row. He led the league in strikeouts and strikeouts per nine. He did it in a much tougher division than Bauer. Remember I said I can't take Bieber out on that because the other pitchers weren't as good. But DeGrom was almost as good as, as, as Bauer this year in a much tougher hitting division. Phillies can hit. The Braves can hit. And uh, even the Marlins, they can hit a little bit better than anyone in the Central can. Central was the worst hitting division in baseball this year. So, and none of those teams made it past uh, the wild card round in the playoffs, which also tells you something. So I think Bauer got an edge with that. He's still a terrific year, but if you ask me who the best pitcher was in the league and who I want to win me a game, I might take DeGrom. I, I, I think I would take DeGrom. It's going to be close. I think, I think Bauer wins it, but I personally would go Jacob DeGrom because there's no one I can trust more at getting strikeouts, limiting walks, and uh, keeping the ball in the ballpark. So I, I go DeGrom, but it's close. What do you got? I, I have so much respect to Jacob DeGrom for everything he's done. The, he, the Mets offense always... Like gets lets him down consistently again and again and again. He puts up fantastic numbers. I know he won twice in a row. This is the year I'm gonna go with personally with Trevor Bauer. One point seven three ERA, hundred strikeouts, uh, less than Degrom. I I know, and he went seventy three innings. He did the home runs are a little concerning. That might be a little concerning, but just the year that he's had and the impact he had on the Reds getting to the postseason where they might not where they were a kind of a bubble team, I think that really gets um, gets him the edge there. I know the Mets, they didn't make the postseason, and I know there was a lot more problems, and Jacob DeGrom was a sole shining light on that franchise, but this year, I'm going to go with Trevor Bauer. And a shout-out to Darvish. If he didn't crash his last two starts, he very well could have gotten my vote, but the last two starts in a 12-game season are important. I mean, that's 60%—excuse percent. Uh, excuse me, that's a, a sixth, I should say, of your starts, so— Darvish can't win, I don't think, but he was, he was he certainly got back on the horse this year, and that was a good story. AL Rookie of the Year. This one probably is going to go to Lewis Robert. I think we can agree. Christian yep. Javier, the Astros, and Kyle Lewis, the Mariners, that are candidates. But Robert, for the White Sox, uh, made the biggest impact of all the rookies. For sure. He, he just really put himself out there in the American League and pretty much is, showed you that he's a force to be reckoned with on that White Sox franchise. His, his offensive numbers weren't electric. They kind of graded out more like league average. But he did that all at age 23. And, Just uh, wait until he's age 27. Yes. He is, uh, he's got a very bright future. He can run. Yeah, he can field. And he certainly has a lot of power. And he's a center fielder of the future for that team. NL Rookie of the Year. <laughs> this one's surprisingly close. Is there's, it? <laughs> Alec, there's Alec Bohm of the Phillies, who had a terrific hitting season. Not so great in the field, but terrific hitter. There's uh, Jake Cronenworth of the Padres, who probably had the award sewn up until he faded down the stretch and it brought his numbers down to more very good. He had been very great before that. And there's Devin Williams, too, of the Brewers. I, I think I go Cronenworth uh, ahead of Bohm, but Bohm, well, he was really good as a hitter. But Cronenworth, you know, he, he did that, too, while being a part of a key playoff team. He moved all around the diamond. And uh, he did a little bit of everything. He hit for a uh, good average, decent slugging at 477, and he did it all moving around the diamond. So I'll go Cronenworth. I, I have to completely agree with you. I'm going to go Cronenworth. No disrespect to Alec Baum. I mean, I think he's going to be a fine player in the future. I just think Jake Cronenworth is just another piece that Jace Tingler got very good production from that's going to move all around the diamond. And that, like you said, is going to provide that versatility and really add on to Tatis Hosmer. And Machado. And just so you know, for Bohm, they're worth pointing out. He did hit 338 wow. with uh, an 881 OPS and a 400 on base, so he showed some batter's eye too. And impressive, but I'm going to go with Cronenworth for his overall versatility. Uh, AO Manager of the Year. We're running down here. This is a little ironic, isn't it? I think Kevin Cash is the Manager of the Year, despite making the biggest managerial mistake of the year. This award's only for regular season, keep in mind, and they wouldn't have got there. To the World Series, Game Seven, Game Six, excuse me, without uh, without all the great moves that Cash made this season, he got so much out of a flawed team that uh, I think it's got to be Cash. The other options are Charlie Montoya of the Blue Jays or Rick Renteria, formerly of the White Sox. What do you? Who do you have? I have to go with Kevin Cash. I mean, look, the Rays just have such a uh, an offense that shouldn't produce as much as it did. And Cash hit all the right buttons except for that one decision that everyone has ripped him apart for. But we got to look at the regular season, what he was able to do, and how much he pretty much dominated the... Well, not dominant, but he really kind of set the Rays apart from the Yankees 
late in the AL East. Oh, yeah, so, he dominated. He dominated. Okay, he did dominate. Well, fine. That's, but He did. <laughs> so I have to go Kevin Cash, and I, I, I just it, the, the fact that he got them all the way to the World Series, and again, we, we keep saying that he didn't make the right decision in that Game 7. My bad, Game 6. But Kevin Cash, for all the moves he's made this season, he's got he's to be the guy. Uh, NL Manager of the Year, Don Mattingly. You got David Ross. You got Jace Tingler. Tingler deserves credit. The Padres were almost like a sleeper team for some teams, some a lot of pick, a lot of pundits this year. Nobody had the Marlins making the playoffs, and yeah, they only made it because of the format. They probably wouldn't have made it any other year. They're not probably not going to do it again next year. But you know what? They did it this year, and this has uh, visions of when Joe Girardi did it for the Marlins in '06. They didn't make it that year, but they got very close. Mattingly. Uh, so I questioned why he was still in Miami, but he got something out of a squad that nobody had coming, uh, doing anything serious, and they made the playoffs and won around. So Mattingly, manager of the year, uh, easily I think for me. It's it's got to be Don Mattingly. Look at the pieces of people he had on that roster. Anyone who considers himself not knowledgeable in baseball or an expert in baseball expect them to get even to the postseason, and then not only that, but beat. The Chicago Cubs and move on to the NLDS? No. Don Mattingly, so much credit in the world. He got them all the way to that point, and he deserves that award. I, no offense to David Ross, but he kind of let the his team kind of let him down in a big moment. And Chase Tingler, I think people expect the Padres to be good, but I know they performed more than what people expected to. I guess this season at least. So, yeah, he was, Don Mattingly's my guy. Tingler was good. Mattingly was great as yes, a manager. Yes. Free agent predictions. This could be fun. Uh, Trevor Bauer is the number one free agent. We're going to go quick here. I got him going to the White Sox. I think Trevor Bauer to the White Sox is the move. I don't know how much money they have, but I did see $30 million is coming off the books uh, this offseason. I don't see any of those guys coming back. Uh, the Colomays, the Encarnaciones, the, uh, there was another move. There's another guy, too, who's come off the books. They could take that $30 million and give that to Bauer in the form of a $30 million AAV. I think Bauer, the White Sox, an up-and-coming team, Interesting. would certainly make them legitimate. I, that's a really good point, Tom, and that's really interesting. I'm going to pick someone as the Atlanta Braves. Ooh, that could be fun, too. So the Braves have a really good offense, as we just got, went over, right? Freddie Freeman... Ronald Cunha Jr., Ozzie Albies, are three, they're three horses. But the Braves pitching, can we expect the same production from Max Freed, Mike Soroka, and Ian Anderson? I think to put them over the top, they're at the NLCS last year. They had a really close series with the Dodgers. And I think to get them over the top, I think Trevor Bauer provides that edge. Like, I just picked him for the NL Cy Young. He provides that pitching depth to get them over the top to complement Soroka and Max Freed. To the Braves he goes. That would be a good fit, too. LeMayhew, DJ LeMayhew. We both said he probably wins MVP. Uh, I think he re-signs with the Yankees. He, the Yankees certainly shouldn't let him go unless they are planning on replacing him with Francisco Lindor. Uh, you know, if they let him go and don't get a, that kind of replacement, it would be such a massive, massive mistake. So I don't even think they have to have the discussion about the replacement. I think they just keep the guy uh, who's done so much for them as a leader and as a player. I think LeMayhew stays... Uh, it'll probably take 20 plus million over four years. The contract might not look so good at the end, but the Yankees certainly need it right now. So LeMahieu with the Yankees. Drum roll, please. Okay, no. Uh, I was going to make this a little. Oh, all right. We're going to make this a little dramatic, but he's going to also resign with the Yankees. Why did I drum roll for the same result I just said? Because I like to be fun. Uh, he resigns with the Yankees. Uh, like you just said, the Yankees have so much to lose to not open the bank for him. I mean, this guy has done pretty much everything you've asked him to provide. So much value, so much production, good guy off the field. And the Yankees would have to find someone equivalent or greater than DJ LeMahieu for me to be okay with him not being on that team anymore. He's got to be there. He stays. And I don't see the Yankees closing out with him or not going forward without him. All right, let's roll through some of these a little quickly here. George Springer. I think the Mets is a pretty obvious answer. They need a center fielder. They need someone who can who can who can field center field. They have some hitters in the outfield. They need a fielder too, and he can do both. Springer uh, would be a perfect fit for the Mets. I think that one's probably the easiest move I think that could happen this offseason. Springer to the Mets. You know what? That that's not a bad move at all, and I can definitely see that happening. But here's what I got: Springer to the Indians. The Indians outfield that will never happen. Jordan Luplo, Delano DeShields, never happen. Tyler Naquin. There's a reason. Highest why. batting average, two fifty two. 
between them. That was that was they need outfield depth to get to where they want to go. Sounds I think Springer good. Could go there. Sounds good. But guess what? The Indians have already confirmed they're shedding money. They're shopping Francisco Lindor. They've confirmed they're not taking on any money this offseason. It'll never happen. It sounds good. I agree. But they've already basically the reports are it will never happen. So Look, man, I'm allowed to. Uh, it's just a prediction, okay? It's probably not going to happen. Maybe the Mets one probably sounds more realistic, but I just thought because of team depth and value that I think the Indians. Oh, it's a good, it's a good option, but the Indians just don't have the funds for it. They, they just don't. It sucks. The J T. Ooh, J T. Romuto had a little trouble with that one. Phillies, could they seriously let him go yes. after giving up Sixto Sanchez, a tippy top prospect for them, and and all that Romuto's done for them? Are they seriously going to let him go? Yes. He is going to the Mets. The Mets are going to spend big wow, money. Wow, wow. You think Steve, you're buying into the Steve Cohen? I don't think it does the Mets any more than 88, 89 wins, but it's a, it's a mild improvement. Uh, I think they spend big. You know, when the Yankees have spent big in the past, with when they got Beltran and McCann and uh, Tanaka all in the uh, same year, you know, Ellsbury that same year too. I'm talking about 14. It doesn't oh, always work. Okay. But teams can do it. I think that happens with the Mets here. They do spend big. I think Real Muto to the Mets because they could use a catcher. You're not going to like what I have to say here. D- JT Real Muto will sign with the Tampa Bay Rays. I believe the Phillies do not have enough cap room to re-sign. They don't, there's no cap in baseball. Fine. They don't. Well, to me, they just they've spent too much of their money on Bryce Harper. That's yes. what I mean. Okay. And they had Michael Perez, Mike Zeno, their catchers. Below 200 batting average. Is that really what they want to go out there and see from their catchers? No, they don't. So they can get the offensive side of JT Real Muto, and they can get the defensive side of JT Real Muto instead of just the defensive side for Perez and Zanino. Yeah, you know, it's a good idea, too. I just don't know if the Rays have the money for it, but they have spent a little more recently, and now they're winning, so who knows? That's I- why I thought that he could be a good fit there. Marcelo Zuna, I've got him re-stunning with the Braves, uh, especially with the DH probably staying. Ozuna, I really can't feel it anymore, but he can, he can hit, and uh, he's a good fit there. His Clubhouse. offense is just too much to give up. 18 home runs, most on the team. Best batting average, 338. Best RBIs, 56. Nick Barcake is getting older. He 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 just is the perfect complement and the perfect offensive piece to go off of Acuna and Albies and Freeman. Marcus Stroman, I think he re-signs with the Mets. He's not a needle mover for me. I don't think he's really anything special, but he's a number three starter, and the Mets could use one. Um, he uh, I don't th- I don't know if he's re-signed in the qualifying offer. I think it's a short-term deal. But I, especially in this chilly off-season environment with money, but I do think he could stay with the Mets. Uh, it's I don't think it's going to make a difference for them, but it gives them depth that they can count on. I think the Mets will let him go. I think the Mets want to go after a bigger fish. It seems like Steve Cohen really likes to attract that bigger fish and is really trying to buy make a stamp on this Mets fan base that has been deprived again and again and again by the Wilpon ownership. So Stroman will sign with the Cincinnati Reds. The Reds are going to lose Trevor Bauer. He's not going to go back there. Trevor Bauer has a short lifespan when it comes to clubhouses and his own personality. I think Stroman will fit and compliments the pieces of Sonny Gray and Luis Castillo. I think that's a good pick. A couple others here. Masahiro Tanaka, the writing's on the wall. The Yankees aren't going to have him back. I think they should, but they won't. Tanaka to the Angels. Wow. They could use pitching. Uh, he could be probably be their number one pitcher, even though it's not a role he's really best suited for. Uh, but he'd he'd really help improve the Angels' pitching. They like to spend money. Uh, historically, uh, you know, they have they have a good they have they have a good uh, ability to get big time talent, big names. That is Tanaka to the Angels, and uh, I wouldn't like it, but I'm predicting it to happen. I say he's re-signs with the Yankees. If you're, I know what's happened, and you talked about the writing on the wall and all that, but if you're the Yankees, there's no way that you can give up on his reliability in the postseason and his complimentary talent that he provides with Garrett Cole. That means that you're really banking on Davey Garcia and Clark Schmidt to really step up quickly into that role, and I think you just need that extra veteran presence like Tanaka, so he resigns with the Yankees. They didn't give him the qualifying offer for I know. $18 million. I know. So That's, they're trying yeah. to re-sign him, and that means for less. He would, Do you think, it would, would he take $15 million from the Yankees? Would they even offer it? I don't know. I think he could get 16 17 somewhere else, which is why I, think it ha- just why I see that happening. That's what I say by writing on the wall. Justin Turner is going to stay with the Dodgers. There's yep. n- there's no way uh, he moves on. Yep. He's too valuable there, even if he uh, did almost ruin it with the COVID test. He's a clubhouse leader and a good player. The last two, Marcus Simeon. Um, this one's interesting. The Athletics don't usually spend money. So 
I'm going to have Simeon go into the Cardinals. Whoa. Paul DeYoung is not a very good defensive shortstop. I like that pick. But he's a good hitter, DeYoung. So move him to second. Now that Colton Wong is gone, DeYoung has some experience there. And you can run an infield now of Carpenter and uh, uh, Carpenter at third as well as uh, Edmund that can platoon. And you have Semyon at short, you have DeYoung at second, and you have Goldschmidt at first. It creates a pretty good infield. You're so right. I, I think Semyon and the Cardinals could be a move. That's a really nice pick, Tom. You know what I'm going to do? He's going to go back to his former team. He's going to go back to the White Sox. No, that could work. I if, think, what about Tim Anderson? Ooh. I think he could maybe... They're not moving Tim Anderson. He's an MVP candidate last year. I know, I know, but I just think the White Sox... Did you forget about Tim Anderson? No, I just think the White Sox need another piece that puts him over Where does Semyon play? Maybe third? He's going to go somewhere else to play third? He could. They have Moncada at third. Maybe he platoons with Moncada. He's going to platoon? I don't know, maybe he could. He's he's chasing money. I I know, but what... Jordan, come on, my guy. That's that, that, that He's going to pass up pick, a starting okay. role for a platoon. It was, it was a bold pick, okay? I don't see it. Jock Peterson, last move we're going to go over. Also Cardinals. They need a power-hitting outfielder, and they can spend a little bit. He's a little overrated, but you know what? He's got a lot of power, and that's what the Cardinals need. So, I, Cardinals. I think he's going to the Angels this time. I think they're getting him a second time. I, I, they seem to have interest in him. I, I think he provides a really good fit there to go with Trout. They didn't get him the first time. Artie Moreno was too impatient or whatever you want to yes. call it. But I think he goes there a second time. All right, that's our MLB free agent frenzy. Before we wrap up the show, we're going you know, to do the pick six plus the extra point. We're going to throw in a college game. Oh, because okay. Because we're going to devote a little more time to this, but we're running out of low on time. We can still make a game pick for it. Florida versus Georgia. It's one of the number. It's one of the top five offenses versus one of the top five defenses. I always pick the defense in those games. Georgia wins. I, this is so tough because... Each of these teams have really good one thing and then maybe a not-so-so other. But I'm going to pick Florida, and here's why. I think that the combination of Trask and Kyle Pitts will outdo the Georgia defense. I think the Georgia defense is going to get gassed. I think that Stetson Bennett's going to be forced to make plays, and he's not going to be able to do that against the Florida defense. All right, NFL pick six. That was our extra point, if you will. One o'clock game, Ravens-Colts. This is going to be seen in most of the country, but not truly national TV. Maybe it should be, though. It could be a good one. Do the Ravens bounce back, or do the Colts take control of the AFC South? Ravens bounce back. I just think Lamar Jackson will have a better day than he did against the Steelers. It's going to be a very tough game. It's going to be close, but the Ravens just have a bit more things on offense than the Colts do. We dragged on Lamar earlier, at least I did, but I will say, even in a bad game, he was still in it till the end against the Steelers, and I don't see Rivers out-dueling even a somewhat reduced Lamar. So, Ravens take this one. Game two, Seahawks at Bills. Somehow this is still just a one o'clock regional as well. Not the best scheduling this week. Two teams of six wins. Seahawks have made it close a couple of times, but they came out good last week. It came out strong. I picked the Seahawks on the road against the Bills. The Bills offense is just not enough to compare to what Russell Wilson has with DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. I mean, it's been phenomenal all season long, and and that defense is just not going to be able to sustain enough for the Bills offense to produce. So the Seahawks all the way. Dolphins-Cardinals is a 4.30 start time. Oddly interesting with Tua now in the mix and the Dolphins on the auxiliary mix for a playoff spot. I don't think they're good enough to beat the Cardinals yet, though. Not with Murray playing as well as he is and uh, Cardinals on defense being better than the Dolphins. So I'll go Cardinals. A close loss, maybe, but the Cardinals take it. Maybe score and a half. Ten so, points. Last week, somehow, the Dolphins beat the Rams. I was very surprised with that result, but it's not going to happen again. I agree with you. The Cardinals got this. DeAndre Hopkins is going to have a nice day against their secondary. Kyler Murray is going to find his rhythm, and the Dolphins, um, they're just going to fall a little bit short. But in no way does that mean the Dolphins are bad or anything. It's just they're going to fall a little bit short. Steelers-Cowboys is your game of the week. It's a historic matchup, but it's not a great one for viewing purposes this particular year. Steelers take it easy. We can move on to the next one. Steelers. <laughs> yeah, there no uh, more. Something else I can really say. No more needed for that one. So the night football. This one's better. Saints and Buccaneers. The Saints were so bad against the Bears. They've been so bad this year in so many games. Buccaneers. I'm going with the Bucks uh, in Tampa Bay, especially. I can't pick the Saints. Drew Brees has just looked like a shell of a former self. That defense just does not look as good or as motivated as it used to be. His offense provides a lot of problems. Taysom Hill's been the only one besides Alvin Kamara to do something. So I got to pick the Buccaneers. They take full advantage of all that. And Patriots-Jets. Now, you hinted earlier the Jets might win one of these two uh, games. Is this the one? 
yes it is. I'm going to pick the Jets. Don't make that noise again, please. Sorry. I was doing a little little bit of the, uh, um, like, a kind of dramatic role type of thing. But uh, there it is. I'll pick the Jets. I believe that they will get their one win, and it will be now. They're going to take advantage of the Patriots. They always play the Patriots very tough in a division game. I think Sam Darnold's going to have his best game of the season. I think the Jets will keep it close, and I think they'll edge it out in a very low-scoring game. These aren't your Rex Ryan 2010 Jets, okay? They are not, but I'm going to pick them here. I think that's silly. Fine. Quite frankly, I do. So Patriots take it. The Jets can't beat anybody. They might get one. They'll get a win this year. I don't think they go 0-16, but it's not going to come this week. They'll get their one win now. You'll see. We'll see. But that's our pick six. That's Overtime Radio. We did it a little differently this week. Thank you for sticking with us. And uh, we'll have something for you next week, whether it's in studio or again here uh, in in Easter 315. But for Jordan Wolf, I'm Tom Krasnowski, and this has been Overtime Radio. We'll see you next time.